2: Well, the season might not be ready to go, but Todd Zola, Ray Murphy, and I sure are in a season-opening roundtable edition of Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. (laughs) And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
2: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, February 22nd. Yes, it's 2 22 Also my grades in grade 12 calculus. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have a terrific roundtable edition for you with Todd Zola from RotoWire, SiriusXM, Sirius XM, and ESPN, and Ray Murphy, co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. I'll talk with Todd and Ray about the lockout, how it might affect our drafts and draft risk, about player projections, and about prospect advancement. And of course, we'll talk about players, how the pool looks in terms of value pockets, positional tiers, and that kind of thing, about which positions to target early in drafts, about the effect of a National League DH on National League pitching. We'll talk about the rapidly retreating left field fence in Baltimore, and we'll have some value hitters and pitchers and some sleeper hitters and pitchers for 2022. And for some reason we'll talk a little bit about Todd's root canal. It's another great round table to open the 17th season of baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? To heck with the lockout. It's time to talk some baseball and in the first inning of our show, it's our round table with Todd Zola from RotoWire Sirius XM and ESPN. And Ray Murphy, the co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Ray, how's it going? Happy 2022, PD. Nice to be back. And it's 2 22 as we speak my daughter's birthday. She's not 22, unfortunately, which would have been great. Uh, Todd, welcome. Great to talk to you guys. It's great to hear from you guys as well. I know uh, Ray... Uh, after some consideration, Baseball HQ has moved the uh, Florida First Pitch Arizona to an online version again. Uh, give us the details of that before we get going here.
0: Yeah, by the time this podcast drops, uh, hopefully all the online event signups will be live on uh, Baseball HQ. I, I guess I have to extend a uh, start by extending a warm thank you slash middle finger to my friend Rob Manfred for, you know, pulling the plug on the first week of spring training on the uh, on the last day of our sign up deadline, which instead of getting us the nice bump we needed into a uh, good good number of registrations, actually cost us a bunch of registrations and left us in a place where we decided that uh, moving online was the better part of Valor and our bottom line. So uh, it's now an online event. It's still next weekend, uh, March 4th, 5th, and 6th. And like I said, by the time you listen to this podcast, the details are probably on the Baseball HQ homepage, or they will be there very, very soon. And people can sign up for uh, the three-day online extravaganza, which will, you know, be a good time, just a little less back-slapping. That's all.
2: Todd, are you uh, participating in First Pitch Florida online? I don't know, Ray. Am I? <laughs> of course, to <you> work. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, no. I well, I had some. Uh, we had, we had talked about some seminars that I'll be participating in. So I'm sure. I'm sure Bray and Rent will find. We'll find something for this old guy to do.
2: Well, let's get on to the uh, 2022 fantasy baseball season. As uh, unusual as it is to start without actually knowing if there's going to be a season, but we're all kind of being optimistic. Uh, Todd, have you played in some leagues yet, drafted some leagues? You're drafting now?
1: Yeah, uh, we we drafted a bit uh, before the new year. I haven't done quite as much after the new year as normal, but sure, I've got a pretty good handle on the player pool. Now, of course, this time of year, it's all NFBC. And I know a lot of the listeners are NFBC, but it's, I know that, you know, for every thousand, for every one high stakes player, there's a thousand that don't play and we get a little NFB centric this time of year. So it's just something we need to be wary of.
2: Ray, what are you doing as far as drafts so far this year?
0: Yeah. Similar both to Todd. I've done, I think five, uh, NFBC draft champions and, I know we were all talking offline, and the uh, another Raz Slam competition started today. Uh, I've got the labor auction as part of the first pitch event next weekend. Obviously, Tout Wars in a couple of weeks, Uh, but who knows what will be going on. We'll be talking about what this crazy month of March is going to look like, given uh, current labor realities uh, as we go on here. But uh, Like Todd, I've mostly been uh, sharpening my knives, trying to get a handle on the pro player pool, and hoping that uh, the stars align and we have a somewhat normal run-up to the regular season.
2: Have you seen anything so far in the drafts or just in observing the ADPs, even if you're not participating in particular leagues? You guys both do player projections. Have you seen anybody burst out of the gate as a real surprisingly high draft pick or a surprisingly low draft pick so far this year?
0: Somewhat. You know, even right at the very top of the player pool, which we all spent too much time talking about, I <laughs> I, I get a little bit of a little bit of surprise at how things fall, uh, you know, with Tatis being so close to the uh one dot one when I've you know, get a little worried about his shoulder and even the rise of Bo to being a top five pick leaves me scratching my head a little bit. But you know those are quibbles, and you know I could you, know, you you could name a range of the player pool, and I could probably point to something I disagree with. That's kind of what the name of the game is, right?
2: Todd, what have you seen that has uh, caused you to scratch your head a little? I think we're gonna,
1: you know, we I, sneak peek. I we we what we're gonna what, what we're gonna talk about, and one of the things that I've noticed and it is just is the uh, the closer vortex. In that they just it, do you know again we'll talk about it a little bit more, but due to the uh, the nature of a draft and hold league and due to the the un, the just unknown nature of the closer pool the uh the closers are just going ridiculous well i say ridiculously that's an opinion so uh i think you know they're going very early i'll leave the ridiculous part for later they're going uh,
0: somewhere I, between ridiculously early and justifiably early as that uh,
1: well i mean <laughs> it, what what you know any pick works you know it's not it's not you know any pick can work any strategy can work if you pick the right player but I'm um, I, I, I'm not willing to to join the vortex and push the closers up as high as they are. But I mean things like um, once you get into a couple of drafts, you regret not getting a third baseman early. The outfield isn't as deep as it used to be. Um, if you don't get, I think people are putting a premium on multiple eligibility players, and there's so many of them that I'm finding some non you know some single position only players are dropping. You got it. Geez, I mean, I, I know I want a multiple eligibility guy here and again, but if they're pushing this guy down to me, I'll take him and I'll worry about flexibility later.
2: I think that's the way you have to go in in this especially given the fact that we don't know really what's going to happen in the season we uh, even assuming that we are going to have a season we're not sure when it's going to start and that raises a whole bunch of questions but before we talk more about the details of the lockout how you guys are both player projections guys how has the the likelihood of a shortened season affected your projections other than the obvious playing time reductions right
0: yeah, for me, I I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. I characterized it, you know, I've been using our projections. A, it's one of the big reasons I jump at the drafts or, you know, throughout the early parts of the offseason is to test drive the projections and, you know, make notes about them and tweak and that sort of thing. There's no better time to evaluate whether you think a projection makes sense or not than when you're on a clock and considering picking somebody, right? Um, but, I wrote that I was increasingly uncomfortable with the state of our projections, and it's not a knock on the work that I'm doing or our team is doing with the projections. It's just that it's now mid-February, and I feel like the precision of our projections is December quality, just because of the you know the unfinished player movement and somewhat of the iterative nature of how you how we refine the projections you know players sign and you know the Tigers sign a shortstop and you're like okay well now this you know we're going to move this guy over to be the middle infielder and now this guy's the second baseman but he'll have a platoon partner here and you move the playing time around and everything kind of sifts and it's an iterative process that you do with every transaction with every manager comment with you know you know throughout the course of the winter and we're getting none of that information and as a result I feel like the error bars which we always talk about how they're bigger than we think they are and to begin with. And I think the error bars on our projections on playing time and on unsettled player movement are just way wider than they should be on February 22nd. And that's just the nature of the fact that we haven't gotten a bit of hard news since December 2nd.
2: Well, I've heard people that could argue that not getting sound bites from managers and uh, and teams might actually improve the accuracy of the news that we're hearing because most of it's nonsense. Anyway, uh, Todd, what about your uh, projections? How are you coping with the uh, with the likelihood of a shutdown and certainly with the lack of information that Ray alluded to?
1: <laughs> well, the one thing I well, – well, not the one thing, but one thing I did was – I mean, we're going to get, knock on wood, just a blast of transactions – I made sure that there was just no, no, no errors, no glitches, because the last thing I need to do is I'm under the timeline of getting something out. And I, you know, I had a hard sell copy. That should have been a formula, whatever, you know, these things happen. So I, I made sure that, that the sheets are ready to go when, when the players start to move. But the other thing I was able to do and, you know, why don't you do this all the time because you're that's your job, but you just don't have the time. I was able to do a deeper dive on some players And one thing I did in general, again, is, you know, Zola, why haven't you been doing this all along? Um, I paid more attention to my projected BABIP and left on base percentage for pitchers than I have in the past. I've made the projections, you know, by eyeball logical, but I've never actually calculated out the the BABIP and the left on base percentage primarily because I just don't know how accurate the plate appearances and at-bat numbers are, right, Ray, because – You know, you project a guy to improve. You can't carry over the same rate of plate appearances because he'll face fewer batters. So I never, I didn't think, you know, to know that how important or how relative it would be. But I decided this year, since I had the time, that I would go through them and kind of tweak things such that the BABIP and the left on face percentages were, I mean, most of them were close. But a few of them like, wow, that's not going to happen. Even though the ERA was good, that's not going to happen. So uh, not so much good, but right. So that's one of the things I did. I went through pictures um a little bit more detailed just to make some of the underlying metrics air quote you know more plausible.
2: I wonder. When you're talking to guys like me who don't do projections, we rely on guys like you. And we're looking at our drafts, and not so much at the top of the draft. We're very confident that Jose Ramirez is going to get his plate appearances, barring injury. We're pretty confident Vladimir Jr. is going to get his plate appearances. But as we get down the draft, we start facing these decisions about players whose Position in lineups is not so secure. Positions in batting order might not be so secure. And then we have to start thinking about the possibility of a better player coming in from outside as a free agent signing or a last-minute trade or something when this big uh, pent-up glut of, of movement starts. Should we be, at this point if we're drafting now and we get into that position, should we be more focused than usual on trying to find guys that were really confident about their playing time going into the season and the, the lack of likelihood that they lose it to some incoming player?
1: Uh, yeah, but there's this limited pool of such players. And if everybody's doing it, then, you know, there's, it's even more limited. So I think I think that you 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 always want to be looking in that direction, but then I just think you know you have to be more logical or you know more acute with your thinking to to get the other guys right, or even be more aware. Uh, I think it's someone not so much drafting somebody, but to me it's more of avoiding somebody who may lose playing time if someone is brought in. I think that's more of the trap that you don't want to get into. Isn't so much. Um, uh, trying to figure out who is going to play, but avoid the landmines of those who, uh, you know, right now. I mean, it's, it's a dumb example. Ray will agree. I mean, Jackie Bradley is not going to start, but right now he would start. But we know the Red Sox are going to bring somebody in. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look at a depth chart and say, "Oh, Jackie Bradley's in center field. I'm going to draft him." I know he's not going to end up there before long. Someone's going to be brought in. Uh, there are players like that sprinkled throughout the league. So to me, it's more of avoiding the guys who are probably not going to start, but right now might be listed on roster resource or some other depth chart as a starter.
2: How do you feel about it, Ray?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, Todd mentioned this
0: Bradley. I can actually, the example I was sort of thinking of was the team he left, was the, you know, some of the, the way the pieces fit together with the Brewers right sure. now. And there's, you know, maybe some good news there that, there's, uh, there's opportunity between first base and DH for both Keston Hura and Rowdy Tellez, right? Um, so maybe those are guys you bump up a little bit. And you can sort of understand, you know, that's a place where I would I, I, I might go an extra bu- proverbial buck around on those guys ba- because I think that those I like those guys' skills, and now maybe there's an opportunity for both of them to um, find enough at-bats to demonstrate what they can do. On the flip side, on the same team, there's the hole in the outfield that – got created when bradley left and sure they picked up hunter renfro to play right and or left and yellow is going to be in the other corner um but you've got kane and Tyrod taylor in center field right now and taylor's bumping up a lot of draft lists because well Kane's likely to get hurt like he always does and someone's got to play there but that's not a place where i'm believing that those two are the only solutions there that's a place where i'm sort of expecting something else is going to happen. So I'm not getting too sucked into either believing that the Brewers think that Kane can get 500 at bats at his current age, or that Taylor is the only guy they're going to lean on when he doesn't.
1: And I think Lane Thomas of of the Nationals is another example like that, right? He's a right-handed batter. He really hit well with the Nationals at the end of the last. And I actually the reason I'm thinking about this is because I, I put a tweet out. I'm kind of, kind of. I mean, I kind of had a feeling where he play, but I can make an argument for more or less. And I just wanted to see where the market is, and the market's where I am. So I'm not going to make a change. But he's he's a guy there. I mean, he's a right-handed batter. So all I need to do is you know Victor Robles. If he shows anything in the spring, Thomas is now down to a platoon. You know, so I think that that's so I'm not point being. I'm avoiding Lane Thomas, although some people are drafting him late as a sleeper, fourth or fifth outfielder.
2: Is there any source of information when you're looking at a team like uh, Milwaukee and you think this is a team that could use a center fielder? What sources of information might you look at to to speculate on somebody coming in to be the center fielder and, and throw a bit of a dart at that guy based on what kind of news? Todd? Well,
1: I mentioned roster resource before. Let me preface this by saying they're the, they're fantastic. Nobody else, no other source, uh, uh, keep, keeps everything on one page in such a, you know, easy, accessible manner. But what they do is they force, they force players into the starting lineup. And so I, I, I don't, I don't say don't trust. Cause that's not what I mean. I know what they're doing. Um, I, I come up with my own depth chart, my own lineup decisions, And oh, roster resource has this guy batting third, playing left field. I I, I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to lane Thomas. I don't think he's going to end up doing so. I think it's, it's a matter of one's own, just common sense. If you look at something, if you look at a lineup, even, even in the old, I don't know if they're there anymore. They've taken stuff down, but even the depth chart on MLB.com, if you just kind of shake your head, I don't think he's going to play. Then, then he's probably not going to play. But then you've got to start playing the guessing games, and I'm not very good at this, is uh, Cincinnati. Should sure, they have a couple of holes, but are they going to fill them? You know, are they going to actually spend the money to fill them? I don't know. Um, so then you, then you start playing, you know, Con- Connor Joe is another – actually, well, I had him had him listed later. We'll talk about him later. Or, you know, spoiler alert, I think he's a sleeper. He is a guy that I don't I don't see Colorado bringing anybody in. And to me, and, you know, he – had a good half season. Whatever did really well at home. So he, I, I, will take him over Lane Thomas. I trust more. I trust my own instincts. Say he'll play more than, or you know, he has a better chance at a job. So I don't think this, this is not a site that speculates better than others. I mean, we're HQ people. We, you guys assign people that are familiar with the team to do their playing time. So I think that's as good a place as any. Uh, you know, to trust trust the HQ uh, grid as far as percentages go and just use your own common sense and logic for the rest.
2: How might the lockout affect prospect advancement this season? Uh, I'm wondering if we should be more or less willing to draft a Bobby Witt or a guy like that that looks like he's going to get in. And before you answer this, I I understand that a lot's going to depend on how the final <laughs> contract ends up being as far as, you know, the playing time delays and all that kind of stuff. If they eliminate it and say it's just two years, then all of a sudden Kansas City doesn't have an incentive to wait till May or June or whenever the playing time thing comes. But assuming that the rules stay more or less the same, should we be more or less interested in prospects if the season gets a little tighter?
0: I think maybe a little more. You know, if I'm reading what's coming out of the CBA discussions, it seems like the possibility of grand sea change in terms of how service time and prospects are handled is not coming which means that basically some something akin to the status quo is likely to be the outcome there maybe they move the percentages around or you know they're going to be talking about creating these bonus pools for pre-arbitration players still so be some changes like that but maybe not as much of an incentive to keep prospects down the other thing about it that's interesting to me the longer this goes on in terms of the big leaguers not being in camp is the minor leaguers are in camp. So they've got a captive audience with the coaches, et cetera. And Bruce Boat, you know, um, Mike Matheny might decide, you know, by the end of this week that hey, Bobby Wood's got to be on my team, man, because he's standing out. He's he's, he's a man among boys, among these other minor leaguers in camp. And I could tell he's going to hold his own until – you know when, when the big leaguers come in, but but you know he's got nothing to do right now but sit there and watch Bobby Wick, So maybe there is something to that. Um, I don't know. Then you get into questions about you know how short is spring training and you know what you know I, I've got concerns. You know Brent and I have sort of been batting around the topic that I haven't written yet about guys who needed to work on things or demonstrate some kind of new skill or get some coaching in spring training and. Or in the offseason, for that matter, and how all of those opportunities went away. And spring training is going to be a, okay, everyone get in shape, let's go. And that's about all there's going to be in time, time for. And, you know, who does that hurt? And, you know, it hurts guys who aren't in camp or couldn't get that instruction. But the minor leaguers who could, maybe it's good news for them. Maybe, you know, maybe the doors cracked a little bit for them.
2: What do you think, Todd?
1: I'll, I'll keep my answer a little bit short because I rambled last time. Um, to me if you are a prospect guy and gal and you draft them regardless or if you don't I don't think we know enough to change your mind so I still think it comes back to your own uh, approach to the pro- if you take if you take your chance on prospects I don't think we know enough to ch- to, to change that Maybe I'm wrong but um, to me it's if you, you if you don't if you don't take them already I don't see a reason to take them now and vice versa.
2: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, our first show of 2022. I'm Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola and Ray Murphy and guys, let's talk about players. That's what most people want to hear about this time of year because the drafts are underway. We want to pick out those those guys who are going to help our teams, of course, and uh, before we talk about particular players, though, I wonder Ray, in general, how does the player pool look in terms of value pockets, positional tiers, that kind of thing?
0: Todd scraped this a little bit earlier and I Pretty much agree with what he said. I think you find that third base is surprisingly shallow, even relative to the middle infield spots, which I think is not something that we're um, we're we're used to seeing. But I think is definitely a, a, a dynamic you want to pay attention to. Uh, the outfield, I, I agree with Todd. Gets kind of sketchy in some spots. Uh, especially if you put yourself in a position where you're looking for one particular profile of player at a particular tier, you will not always find the power and speed but shaky BA guy versus the, you know, I need 25 home runs here for my fourth outfielder versus, uh, you know, where are those 15 stolen bases I need to uh to balance out my roster if you find yourself looking for specific profiles like that down in the back half you might find yourself in some pretty sketchy situations uh and then you know like todd also mentioned uh you know the bullpens are just a wasteland right now because we have so many teams not naming closers so many teams not sure who their closers are so many teams who have demonstrated year over year that they do not stay married to closers so if you're uh if you're fishing in the saves pool, it's uh, it, it's been getting tougher seemingly for years, and the bar is even that much higher this
1: year. Todd? Yeah, um, I'll just kind of embellish just a little bit. The pool is such that, I mean, if I were to tell you this, you know, when we first kind of, you know, doing the interviews a few years you know back, you, you wouldn't have me back on again. But I, I think it makes most sense if you draft Fernando Tatis Jr. to put him in the outfield and not at shortstop. Imagine if I said that 10 years ago, you would stop talking to me. Uh, But now, I mean, the the shortstop is deep, outfield, and maybe you put him at shortstop when you first draft him, but it wouldn't shock me if you end up moving him to to, to outfield by the end of the draft because there's a good short, there's a better shortstop left than there is, you know, you're looking at Dan Swanson and it's an outfield, and then an outfield you don't like. And the same with Chris Bryant at third base, even maybe even more so. Uh, to, to you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, that's, yeah, well, all right. So the thing with Chris Bryant, that's a little different situation. If you put him in the out, if you if you can get another good third baseman and then take Bryant, put him in the outfield, you thin the pool a little bit for somebody else. That's a kind of a different approach to it, but uh, it doesn't just wouldn't just the way the outfield works out. And I think it's because, or in part, there's just so much multiple eligibility there's so many outfielders that've got 21 games at second or you know 21 at first or whatever it might be that they're playing they're, they're, they're in a fantasy roster they're occupying an infield slot and it's just it's reducing the number of multiple eligibility guys that people are putting in the outfield it's thinning it out
2: so which hitting position should we be focusing on early do you think given what we know about the pool uh, you say that uh, certain positions are short certain positions must be a, a little deeper uh, I I went outfield uh, third baseman in my first two picks in Raz Slam because of the belief that those positions are going to fall off a little more rapidly than others but what do you say I think that uh, yeah I, I don't I mean I don't I don't want to leave
1: too much on I think Ty goes to the third baseman uh, and I'm not I'm not forcing. I, I'll, I mean, I took Aussie Al- Alsbys in the in the Raslam because he was you know one of the better players at that spot. I'm not forcing a second baseman, just b- even though I know it's weak because there's just so many of them. You're gonna find one eventually, commensurate with that draft spot. But sure, Ty, Ty goes to the third baseman. If you can if you can get a Manny Machado or Raphael Devers uh, fairly early and get that out of the way, then you're not going to be hoping for a bounce back from Alec Bowen later, or 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 hoping Jonathan Villar signs with somebody and he actually runs or something like that. Uh, so yeah, there, I'm, I'm, I am pushing third baseman up, and you know I, I, I I'm not I'm not avoiding taking two shortstops because they're just so good at the top, but you know I, I'm not forcing that either. And um, it's just uh, first base is just kind of kind of normal. There's there will be somebody at some point throughout the course of your draft. So uh, well, you know when there's one at the top of the list, you know, Bing, bang, boom, you go ahead and take them. But yeah, Ty goes to third baseman, and I'm not I'm not putting a scarcity number on sh- second baseman to make sure I get one.
2: Ray, how have you been drafting the top?
1: Yeah, similarly, less concerned about positions and more about.
0: Categories, which of yeah, course is the other side of the coin there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on stolen bases early, and you know, Todd mentioned that there's, uh you know, there are camps that are taking closers very, very early, as early as second, third round. I've done that. I've taken some hendrix I've taken some Hader. I've, mm. I've taken some Kloss, and I've taken some Klossay and Presley down in round four or five. So I, i have sort of tried it a couple of different ways. But you know, as we've said, you know. It, where this game gets interesting is you can't cover all those things, right? If you, you want to get your steals, you want right. to get your saves. Oh, and you want to get your two aces in the first right. five rounds. Exactly. So now, exactly. Now, now, I've, now I've got four home runs. So, you know, what am I supposed to do? And, you know, w- w- which combinations of those you really want to cover in your first five rounds and which ones you're willing to, you know, start, start from at a deficit and play catch up in rounds five through 15, I think is where this game gets interesting. So, you know, I've I've modeled that a bunch of different ways already. I'm not sure I have all the right answers yet, but um I think it's uh I, I think that's where uh the opportunity to uh you know beat the rest of the field at construction is um is in play.
2: Ray, you said you've drafted uh, five drafts so far. Any commonality in your first couple of picks across those five uh, attempts?
0: I keep getting the first pick, so I keep taking oh. Turner, which isn't really, you know.
2: And <laughs> you know that means you're going to get like
1: 13 during the main event. right? Yeah,
0: I I'm totally do for 13 in the main event, and I'm, you know, I'm not even going to be in a position where I can complain about it because <laughs> I, I don't think I've had anything lower than like seven so far this year. So the back end of the draft, it's a complete and utter mystery to me.
2: <laughs> How about you, Todd?
1: I just, uh, actually wrote a piece on RotoWire this past week about it. I called it "My Guys" and throughout the course of the piece did the posted the lyrics to the to the to the to the, to the, to the my guy song so it was kind of one of those uh, I try to be creative once in the Mary Wells song when I write um, but yeah I'm, I'm ending up with a lot of one of the things I'm doing with the pitching is I'm not taking an ace because I agree Ray you can't get it all so what can you get later if my one th- my one and two aren't going to be as good as yours but I'm hoping my three through seven are better. And so I'm getting guys like Sean Manaya and uh, uh, Jose Barrios to kind of, you know, guys that I think strike out more batters than people realize. So to kind of make up with the strikeouts. And then I, I got to fix my ratios by better streaming and just a better back of the rotation. So I'm, I hope I'm drafting my fifth and sixth pitchers while everybody else is drafting their batters. So I get a little bit more, you know, supply and demand is in my favor, et cetera, et cetera. Because what I've chosen to push, as, as Ray's implying, you can't get it all, is a little bit of starting pitcher. And I'm, I'm taking the chance on getting saves. I mean, the thing we, the thing is, we, we know that there will be saves available later. We just don't know who. I mean, I'm not so sure there will be steals later. You know, so it's not as even, it's it, it's not even if, it's not, it's not just that we don't know who we don't know if they'll be available there will be you know for every for for, for every win there'll be half a save so you know whatever there, there will be saves to be had and yeah the distributor bunch more among, among more closers but that translates to the roto standings where you don't need as many in the category to compete so yeah, I'm I'm t- am I, am I betting or gambling or you know or or hoping that I land on a 35 save guy in the 15th round or 12th round. Yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what my bet is and I feel more comfortable with that bet than I do um you know thinking I can get a good starting pitcher and speed uh and get saves early. It's just that that's the one place I'm figuring because I know they'll be there. I know the saves are there. I just don't know who
2: what do you guys think we should be thinking about the National League DH? I'm going to call it a probability. I think everybody on both sides of the argument in the negotiations likes the idea, and uh, barring some kind of breakdown in negotiations, I believe there's going to be a DH in the NL this year. Let's, let's mm-hmm. assume that there will be. How does it affect the National League pitcher pool? Todd? Uh,
1: more than, I think it affects it more than people believe is going to. Maybe not so much at the top, but I think it, sh- it does it definitely shuffles things up in the middle. I mean, look at the difference in ERA. It was around point three last year. Uh, the, whip are, the whip is going to still be fairly close just because you actually walk. Uh, the walks will go down because you're not issuing as many intentional walks. So walks actually go down a tad. But runs... Runs are going to go up in the National League and ERAs are going to go up in the National League. And the difference of a maybe, you know, of a of a 315 and a 335, and he's still a really, really good pitcher. Uh, maybe, maybe you change him, maybe you don't. But when you get into the, you know, 3.8 and 4.0 range, you're moving up 15, 20, 30 spots in the rankings, and that's where it's going to make the bigger difference. So no longer tie goes to the American League, and just beware that NL pitchers are going to be affected. Um, I, I, mean, I did it numerically. I figured out what pitchers do. I took it out of the projection. I figured out, you know, I'm making the assumption that the DH and the NL will be somewhat similar to the DH and the NL, and I fed that back into the pitchers' projections from previous seasons, and I used that as my baseline to get a to get a rough estimate. But um, I, I think it's going to matter more than people expect.
2: Ray, how are you dealing with the possibility of a DH in the National League? Yeah, I
0: I might have split the baby a little bit more than Todd described. We did go ahead and make the adjustment on our projections to embrace the NLDH and make the assumption mm-hmm. that we are going to get one at the end of the bargaining process. So we have projected NLDH playing time and I've made the I've made the changes for NL starting pitchers. I actually just did that within the last couple of days. Um, Like I said, I may have done it a little more with more of a little bit more of a light touch than Todd. Um, I was more aggressive on the walks and strikeouts because those numbers are easier to tease out. Um, You know, as Todd said, you can look at pitchers and you know, how many walks and strikeouts they had last year versus a baseline national League hitter. And you can reduce picture, your walk rates and strikeout rates for starting pitchers accordingly. But you got. You also have to remember that you know they face the you know even the good pitchers face the pitcher spot probably twice a game, and that relievers, good relievers at least, generally aren't facing the pitcher spot at all. So I didn't make a make a change there. I was also a little skittish about whether the runs impact would get all the way up to the AL level, just because of. The fact that currently, at least, the NL teams don't have sort of definitionally in-house DH candidates on their rosters. You know, the Mets have Pete Alonzo and Dwight uh, Dwight Smith, for for sure. There are cases like that. But, you know, these teams weren't already carrying DHs historically, which makes me wonder how many of them are just going to sort of opt for the rotating model and carrying the extra – utility infielder or fifth outfielder or sixth outfielder, you know, someone who's employed not so much for their David Ortiz, Nelson Cruz, like hitting skills and instead using it the way that a lot the, the AL has sort of been drifting lately to as more of a rotating rest spot. So I I, I was a little, I, I stopped short of saying that the, the NLDHs would be as productive as the NLDHs in terms of impact on, NL starting pitchers ERA and WHIP. I was more aggressive with the walks and the strikeouts because even sixth outfielders and fourth middle infielders should be able to, you know, not strike out at you know fifty percent clip or whatever the heck it was that pitchers did last year.
1: Yeah, because you know we make either way we do it, there's a lot of assumptions being made. You know, you can back out the stats and add in the stats, but the remaining stats occurred under the scenario that existed, and just a series of events wouldn't have been the same. Right. right, so it, we're, it, there's just so much assumptions being made, and yeah, all right, you look at 2020 and see what happened there, and you get an idea. But to me, I don't. I mean, the noise amongst ERA among an ERA is just going to blow away the the actuality. Of, you know, you know. Anyway, so I I think you just need to be aware that more in the middle. You know that the, the, the you NL know, it's it's more in the middle. Don't be so shy about an AL third, fourth, and fifth starter, whereas before, you know, I'm only drafting an NL starter. The top is the top. We don't, you know, it, plus it doesn't happen linearly, right? The Who's to say that Jacob deGrom, a healthy Jacob deGrom or Zach Wheeler or, or Walker Buehler, you know, gets the same uh, effect on their strikeouts and walks as, an uh, you know, run-of-the-mill NL pitcher. But yet, you know, you apply these things linearly. So, you know, unfortunately it's going to take – you know, it's going to take three a few years for all this to flesh out. I mean, we're all, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for. You know, right now we got the happy fun ball of 2019. We got the short season 2020. I want to go back to the point where we don't have to worry about this. It's just three seasons of, of you know, regular ball. And I mean, last year with the two different baseballs. So, you know, I hope to be around long enough that to be still be doing this, and we don't have to worry about what the baselines are. We just, you know, use the old whatever your weighted average is. You know, what other topic that i
0: should throw in here that we haven't uh i haven't seen talked about as much as these two angles is there are some very specific lineup construction effects to this your nl leadoff hitters are going to get more rbis because they yeah, have yeah. real batters at the bottom of the order good news yep. for you know chris bryant's rbi projection is too is too low definitionally that needs to get fixed same for you know mookie betts and brandon nimmo and trey you know, turner. The other guys. Who, trey turner some of the other guys who have uh you know, been penalized by that. The other hidden one that we've always had numbers on is that number eight hitters in the National League never stole bases. And you know, there might be you know we're all stopping for some stolen bases. There might be you know some to be found at the bottom of NL lineups this year mm-hmm. because you don't have an automatic red light in front of the pitcher anymore. Yep.
2: Before we go on with more players, one of the big stories in the off season so far. Uh, That happened, uh, maybe got a little more attention than it might have because there was no other baseball news to report. But I think this is pretty significant. And that is the Orioles moved their left field fence back 30 feet I mean, in I've been parts, around long yeah. enough that I've seen a six-foot move here and an you know, eight-foot move in or out there. 30 feet is a heck of a big uh, difference to make, especially, for of course, for right-handed power hitters. But there's some discussion about just how much it's going to affect that Baltimore lineup. Ray, uh, how much down. are we going to adjust uh, Baltimore's power stats to reflect? Oh, and it's also a taller wall and farther back.
1: Yeah, 30 feet's a first down. <laughs> you know I mean that, you know you could yeah they and how many yeah, but um, so Derek Hardy, you've had him on the show, he's a friend of ours did, did some work, and you know mm-hmm. t- come up came up with a numerical uh estimate of cannon yards to me, everybody's talking about the homers, the homers, the homers, and yeah, all right, so fewer homers are hitting, and p d you mentioned lefties to me it's it's almost more important for the righties that go opposite fields. I know Cedric Mullins doesn't, and, and Rudnett Odor doesn't either. So, it, you know, a couple names that people are interested in. But it, it's harder to go opposite field now. So the, I think that it's not just left-handed batters. But, all right, so you knock the home runs down. But we have no idea what's going to happen with just at, with hits and Babbitt. Because the other aspect of it is, and you guys saw the pictures. Maybe they change it. But there's like a, like a right angle in yeah, that center field. Totally. You know, it's like, I I mean, the the, the center fielder might not be able to see the left fielder. I mean, so, you know, so. I mean, it's like, it's like a jigsaw puzzle where you've got the, I picture, (laughs) excuse me,
0: I picture. The Crawford boxes in Houston, right? Yeah. And like they, they did the direct opposite, right? The Crawford yeah. boxes hang yeah. over the field. They did, the, they did the opposite. It's a cutout going the other way, and there are going to be some with the right angle. There are going to be some awfully weird kicks. You know, Baltimore. I don't think there's been a. You know, I exaggerate, but I, there practically hasn't been a triple in Camden Yards yeah, in eight right. years. And that's gonna, that's gonna change like on opening day. It'll be so great. does this
1: mean the center fielder? Moves, you know, moves over to left field a little bit more, and that leaves the right fielder a little bit more exposed. And how does this change BABIP, and how does it change hits? So, I that I mean, I don't think you can model that, because I don't think we're going to know a- as much. So, sure, I'm you know, I'm dinking uh, dinging Trey Mancini's homers, but I don't know what to do with his batting average. And, all right, so John Means gives a fewer homers, but he may give up more hits. Yeah. So I that's the part. And we're just not gonna that we're not even gonna know this year. It's gonna take two or three years till we get a feel for it. And maybe it may be one of those things where kind of like the wall in Fenway Park, where the Baltimore outfielders, and they happen to have three really good ones. So I think they're gonna have an advantage with uh, Santander Hayes and Cedric Mullins, assuming the three of them, you know, stay as a uh, as a triumvirate. But I mean, you know, they're they're going to know how to, They're going to see more batted balls to know where the center fielder has to play to help out the left fielder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas opposing fielders coming in, so I mean, I think that's going to be a home field advantage thing over time, eventually helping out their their pitchers. But I I adjusted, but it's a it's a it's a complete hand wave. But I I do think that yeah, I mean, you, you you're a little more aggressive to John Means, and here's a list of other pitchers. And that's about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I we I went from I think our projections on means went from a three ninety one ERA to three seventy eight, and now Castle yeah. lost four home runs. And you could sit here and look at those dimensions and tell me that's not nearly enough. And I'm just going to shrug. I'm like, I you know, yeah. I, I took a stab. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, Jordan Jordan Lyles went from categorically avoid to you know what? I'll consider him in the forty sixth round of a right. draft championship. Right.
2: Ryan Bloomfield at Baseball HQ Ray, I think it was, uh, looked at the whole Orioles uh, left field situation and said, this may be a buying opportunity on Ryan Mountcastle because most of his home runs in Baltimore last year would have been out even if the fans had been 30 feet back. Uh, I'm I'm not sure about the tallness part of it, but uh, we automatically assume that a fence goes back, everybody's home runs go down. But Giancarlo Stanton's home runs don't go down because he hits them you know, 60 right. feet over the fence. You could move it back until it was like the, the old uh, Ebbets Field or Polo Grounds or wherever it was that right. uh, Willie Mays ran down that, that ball that was hit that time. So maybe there's an opportunity there. And f- correct me if I'm wrong, but a big component of why hitting stats are so good in Coors Field isn't the thin air, it's the size of the outfield and there's much more opportunity for balls to land and maybe as Todd suggested, this could be one of the outcomes there is that maybe power drops off a bit in the home runs, but goes up in doubles, goes up in triples, maybe more base hits in general, maybe run scoring goes up because of this rather than down, just because there might be a few less home runs doesn't mean there's going to be a lot less runs.
1: Careful what you wish for, Baltimore. Exactly.
2: Yeah. I don't know about that either. Uh, when you guys look through your current projections, who do you see as a really good hitter target, you know, comparing where you have him versus his ADP? Uh, I don't know how, how much uh, looking at that you've done, but you've been drafting, so I assume that you have some idea of guys who are, you think are going to be bargains. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Todd, who do you like amongst hitters as a value versus current ADP type thing?
1: All right, so I'm looking at the piece I referenced earlier. Some guys that I happen to have in a lot of leagues, and I'm going to use that as my my basis. Um, we talked a lot, you know, earlier on about pitchers being pushed up and closers being pushed up and speed being pushed up. Someone's going to go down, and Xander Bogarts is one of those guys that is—he is, just—he doesn't fit. You know, he doesn't pitch. He doesn't close. He doesn't run. So he is falling further than I air quote think he should. So he's a guy that uh, it's not a homer pick. It's just a I'm, I'm happy to pick. A, I'll I probably got speed in the second because I didn't take a starter or I didn't take a closer, so I got my speed already. I'll I'll take the discount on a Xander Bogarts. So that's kind of an early guy. Uh, talking about second baseman, uh, Gene Segura is somebody who is just so boring, but yet gets you little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a decent lineup. So he's a guy that I'm getting ahead of the field a little bit. I kind of teased Connor Joe earlier I'm when I'm looking in that platoon outfield range, pumping him up uh, closer to the top of my list, especially in a league like the Draft Champions Draft and Hold, where you're looking for a player who has an edge that particular week. So, if either he's facing a, if the if the Rockies are facing right handers in a series or they're at home, he gets, you know, he gets double if edged If they're facing three right handers in cores, he's like, the, you know, he could be my second best outfielder that particular week. So, those are a few of the guys that I'm finding uh, ahead of the ADP.
2: Ray, who do you like as uh, value plays?
0: Uh, one guy that keeps bubbling up for me is Javi Baez. Uh, our our projection seems to like him more than his current ADP. I've gone so far a couple of times, like I said, when I u- do these early drafts, I'm frequently using them as an audit on our projection, and he keeps presenting himself to me in you know positions in the draft where he's so clearly the best player by our projections. I keep going back and like re- revisiting the projection, like and are evaluating whether we're too aggressive on him, and I, <laughs> I actually have softened it a little bit, but he's still pops up for me all the time. So he's one guy that, uh, you know, certainly meets the definition for me, Uh, you know, further down the draft board guys, I have a lot of um, so far. Uh, We were going to talk about, um, you know, some sleepers later. Uh, But, you know, some of the guys that, you know, sometimes guys just get left for dead. I find even if they, um, like, if they weren't active at the end of last season, when the ADPs start baking, they're way down too far, and it just takes a long time for it to correct. One of those guys for me is Josh Naylor. I've grabbed a lot of him in very late drafts. You know, He's obviously coming off the big injury from last year, and maybe his ADP will rise once camp's open and we determine if he's healthy or not. But that's, that's real cheap power, real weight, and I think I even saw a news item that he might get some first-base time in addition to outfield, which is that – position flexibility that we all like so you know there's a guy there there are two guys at each end of the of the player pool In Bias and a nailer who you know i've been drawn to multiple times
1: already i like bias because i think he's going to run more with detroit And here's one of those yeah. things where your your formulaic you know three-year average plug it in doesn't always capture it you have to think you know detroit's letting their guys run and he's he can run or he has a high percentage of success so I, I think you have to override, if you do it formulaically, the uh, the steal number, whatever the opportunity number is, and pump it up a little bit because of the team context.
2: I'll throw out a couple of names as well. Uh, the first one on my list is Fran Morales, who seems to be getting drafted mm-hmm. in around pick one twenty which is what the eighth round or so. And uh, by baseball HQ valuations, he should be going in like the third or fourth round. That seems to be a pretty good bargain opportunity. Although I know guys don't like to fill that uh, utility D8 spot too early. And a couple of outfielders, Ryan Mountcastle's name already came up. He's Mm -hmm. going higher than a hundred in the pick. And I think he's probably three or four rounds better than that as a projection. And Jesse Winker is going at yep. a 107, and I like Jesse Winker more than pick 107, and I feel like I'm going to get uh, Jesse Winker on a couple of teams this year for sure because of that. Uh, switching over to pitchers, uh, let's start with you, Ray, this time. who's Who are a couple of pitchers that really jump out at you as potential values for this year?
0: My first love of the offseason was Sandy Alcantara, but then I, I – Decided there was too much competition for him. <laughs> um, everybody loves Son Sandy Alcaldara. Um, although that seems like I might be correcting a little bit. I got him in uh, in the early third round of a couple of drafts, and if that price holds, I might still I might stay interested in that. Uh, but like we were saying in the conversation with Todd earlier about priorities, that tends to be a spot where. Uh, I've been focusing on some other things. I've been letting the starting pitcher go a little bit there. There's a really nice bubble I like a little further down of uh, guys like Joe Musgrove and uh, Alec Manoa and uh, i trying to think a couple of the other guys in there. You know, it's a little later than Logan Webb, but there's uh, <clears throat> Luis Castillo and, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a nice five, you know, tier six, seven, a mm-hmm. uh, round six, seven starting pitcher that I, I feel like you can make a good living with. Uh, I've ended up with a lot of those guys. And then you get down later, too. I like the – there's a bunch of sort of what we call sophomore starting pitchers that I like from Tanner Houck to Luis Patino to Josiah Gray, all these guys who have – you know, certainly when you get to that tier, you're talking about innings limits and durability concerns and that sort of thing. But all kinds of skills in that group, too. And if I don't come home with one or two of those guys as my – SP4, SP5, it's probably – I probably ended up doing something screwy in the draft.
2: Todd, you got a couple?
1: Uh, May as well keep planting my flag on Bailey Ober. I just uh, – he he has not been high in prospect lists, but all he's done everywhere he's pitched is strike a lot of batters out and not walk many, including in the majors last year. So, you know, I, I, there's some trepidation, but it's baked into the price. So, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the over on Bailey over there. I'm, just, he's one of the guys that I'm, uh, that I'm kind of planting my flag on. And we, you guys should probably, I, unfortunately, we're not going to be live in Florida, so we can't have a live intervention. But you guys probably need to start talking me out of Dylan Bundy. But I'm giving him one more chance. And yeah. It's it's uh, the Angel Stadium is latently a home run park, especially for lefties. Uh, Target Field is quietly a non home run park. So I'm going to give him one. I'm doing a lot of these draft and holds where you just basically, you know, the you don't filter by canine and walk anymore. Does he have a pulse? And does he have a job? Those eventually become the filters. And he passed both of those filters. Maybe maybe that's a bad thing, but anyway, see, so I'm getting Dylan Bundy in a lot of these draft champions. This is whatever my 12th, 13th starter. Um, the other guy that I like in that range is because is I think at some point, and this is a flaw in valuation, in that you know conventionally you assume everybody that's pitching or everybody that's hitting is going to occupy that roster spot for the entire year, and that's just not the case. So again, contextually to the drafts we're doing, where you stream pitching. I'm, i think that Anthony Desclafani is. I want. I, I want him because half of the year he's an SP four. I mean the other half of the year he's an SP six or seven. But I, you know, I want him for that half of the year where he's an SP four. So uh, did pretty well with the Giants and is back with the Giants. So I look for. I don't. I don't look just for hitters that you can use, it splits with towards the end. I look for batters, i uh, sorry, pitchers too. And Discofani is someone who I, uh, I really like as a pitcher in a draft and hold format.
2: The starting pitchers, that I like you mentioned, Sean Manaya earlier, I think he could uh, yeah. be a really good value. I like Eduardo Rodriguez, whose ADP is in the 150s, which seems uh, out of line given the, the skills that he's shown. And I like mm-hmm. a couple of relievers, too. I don't think anybody should be sleeping on Jordan Romano in Toronto. This team is going to win a lot of games because they are going to hit the hell out of the ball, and their starting pitching is actually not too bad. I think Toronto's going to compete in the American League East, and I think Jordan Romano's going to get a lot of saves out of that. And I also like Blake Trinan as a speculative play, assuming that Kenley Jansen maybe has become a little closer to washed up. Todd, not, you're making not a too face. Bad. <laughs> not, not, I know, you're, you
1: know you don't want to uh, go overboard and seem like a homebred. I think Toronto's pitching is darn good. It is
2: really good, yeah. You're right. <laughs> I was just trying to be modest on behalf of fans up here, <laughs> up here in Canada. Yeah, they're going to they're yeah. win games. And oh, he's, he's yeah. going to close a lot of them, I think, barring injury, and he's had a little trouble in that regard. When, uh, when Hinjin Ryu is your number four,
1: you're, you're doing okay.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a really good rotation. I think uh, Alec Manoa is going to be overdrafted. However, I think he's uh, he's going to go too high based on a Guilty. relatively short sample. Yeah, I'll tell you what, he's got a great attitude. He's fun to watch if he's on your fantasy team. I,
0: I, I should have mentioned Barrios in my earlier litany of those six seven starting pitchers. He definitely fits.
2: And I think, I mean, since we,
1: we'll finish off the the Turner rotation, a lot of people are scared about Gosman, Kevin Gosman coming to the AL East. And coming to Rogers Rogers Center, um, I'm not the guy. This the split fingered fastball is the is the most effective pitch in MLB right now, and he has he has the best splitter. So I I think at least for a little while, it's going to take batters uh, time to catch up, and I think he's going to enjoy some good success with the Blue Jays.
2: Ryan Bloomfield of Baseball HQ, I talked about him earlier. He had a report not long ago on the site that pitchers taken in the first round last season were pretty comprehensively value busts. And I'm wondering if that suggests anything about how we ought to approach pitchers in the early rounds this season, or is it just an anomaly, a one-season bubble that we can forget about and just go on about our business as we normally would?
1: Hmm. I'm not a first-round pitcher guy, so... I'm not going to say I feel, you know, justification. I don't think it changes things because, you know, the, the report wasn't, again, once again, first-round pitches are a bust, in which case I'd be a little concerned. But it, they, they weren't. So I think that um, if you if you are into the early, you know, I, I would not hesitate to take a picture. I mean, we're talking a Gary Cole, Corbin Burns, uh, that 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 type of player. The thing we haven't talked about at all yet is we don't we don't know what the ball's going to be like either. Yeah. Right? You know. So I mean, yeah. sorry, <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. I had a root canal today. I'm why do we do this? Yeah, I'm, I, I, I literally had a root canal today, so I'm in a mood. You know, which may be why I, I feel like I'm not talking clearly because it, it just my mouth still hurts. Anyway, um, so you know, I think there's some hesitance there, but just based on that study, I'm not. I'm not changing things. If you like Corbin Burns, you probably should still like Corbin Burns. Um, to me, there's just not that many pitchers to make a, to if there were you know 10 pitchers drafted and eight of them were bust. Okay. But I think it's just a number thing, a sample thing.
2: And it's not like uh, the hitters are always successful in first round picks. Either. Right. In fact, Ron Chandler has proved, I think pretty convincingly that no matter Very who bad. you take in the first round, your chances are pretty good that you're not going to get value back. One and three. Ray, you got a, uh, are you still drafting pitchers, starting pitchers in the first couple of rounds?
0: I don't know. I lost a bet because we got through that whole segment without Todd saying <laughs> draft, <laughs> draft, draft the pitcher, not the round. Why <laughs> didn't say that. <laughs> you didn't say it. I lost the bet. I thought you oh, were okay. going Oh, to. all right. No, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but no, Um. That, that to me is the point is, you know, what pitchers are we talking about? I wasn't taking the Grom last year. Not that I don't think the DeGrom is great, but I was worried about him. I wasn't taking Bieber last year because mm-hmm. we were overvaluing the 60-game season before that. I felt good about Walker Buer last year. I still do. Max Scherzer's another year older. I have reservations there. Corbin Burns is new to this neighborhood, but I'm a Corbin Burns fan. So to me, this remains more about individual pitchers than it does – Dogma, take a picture of this round. Go we'll take a picture of that round.
2: Okay, guys, let's close with the, uh, the sleepers. Everybody wants to know your deep sleeper for uh, 2022. We'll take a sleeper hitter and a sleeper pitcher. And, uh, Ray, why don't you go first on this one?
0: Oh, for my hitter, I made a crack at the top about Fernando Tatis's shoulder. Uh, let me double down on that. Um, when Tatis' missed time last year, it was ha Kim and... Jake Cronenworth masquerading at shortstop. I don't think that's the case this year. I think if and when Tatis can't play shortstop or can't play at all, it's going to be C.J. Abrams' time, and C.J. Abrams can run like the wind. Hmm. Um, I I think he's going to get a decent amount of playing time at some point Hmm. during the year, and who doesn't love the stolen bases that play on day one? So he's my sleeper-slash-rookie hitter. Um, And... For a pitcher, I'll go with Patrick Sandoval just because I really, really, really love what he's doing last year, and call it casting that he shows up for spring training healthy.
1: Who do you like, Todd? Yeah, I'm trying to quickly find someone that I haven't. Ta- I mean, I had Connor Joe written down, but we mentioned him a few times already. So I am going to go, and I'm going to, you know, give a hat uh, a hat tip to our friend and colleague Jason Colette, who is I don't want to say convinced, but. Thinks there's a good chance that Kevin Kiermeyer is traded, clearing up even more playing time for Manny Margot. Uh, so I, you know, if you if you need to address deals and who doesn't, um, I I'd like to put Manny Margot on my roster towards the end of the outfield run.
2: And as for me, I've got a couple of guys. We talked about the Baltimore outfielder. Anthony Santander is going Mm -hmm. 266th by ADP. Uh, I'm not very good at math, but that's kind of like the 20th round or somewhere in there. No, maybe not quite that low, but it's pretty low, 266. I would draft him happily three rounds earlier than that because I think he's a good hitter. And uh, I had him uh, a few times over the years. Another guy I like as a... a, uh, sleeper for a hitter is bobby dahlbeck in boston i think he's being drafted uh, way down past the 200 mark and i've been reading a couple of things and ray maybe you can steer me correct if i'm wrong but they seem to think he could steal some bases this year for a for a big guy he runs pretty well and they seem to think that there's some stolen base potential there you're in boston what do you think is that likely possible unlikely impossible
1: (laughs) um I, he's got the skills. I don't know how. I mean, I think you know. He, if you're talking eight to twelve, yeah, all right, sure. But I don't. I'm, I'm not going to expect more of that. Um, the thing with Dahlback, and I did the, did some research on it, and whether he continues to do it remains to be seen. But people take a look, and they saw the second half strikeout improvement, and okay, so you know he's, he he improved on strikeouts. But if you go a little bit further, he stayed the same, the skills underlying metrics as on fastballs all year. He just began hitting off speed and began hitting breaking balls so much better. And it wasn't just a strikeout rate. His average exit velocity on fly balls on both of those increased. And whether it was a coincidence or not, it was when Kyle Schwarber was with the team. And some people think that that the two of them work together. And um, so for me anyway, kind of taking it to the next level, if he really did, whether it's spin recognition or pitch recognition, if he actually can hit breaking balls and off-speed better, there's a playing time crunch. But this, you know, this is you know we all know this guy Ron Chandler. He says, you know, don't worry about that. Draft the skills. If you've got the skills, you will be in the lineup. So I, I think even without the speed, PD, I like back just because I think he, I think he. Did take it to another level. People are saying, "Well, when you when you when you cut your strikeout rate that down, down that much, you usually don't maintain it." Well, take a look at why he cut it down, and I think it's plausible he can.
2: And if you're going to throw a pitcher dart. Keep an eye on Chris Flexen; he's down around pick three hundred and fifty. Get him uh, yeah. in the reserve rounds or in the later rounds of those big draft and holds, guys. This has been a, a treat. Before we go, tell our listeners where they can keep track of your work, uh, Todd Zola. Where can people find you?
1: Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Todd Zola, T O D D Z O L A. Right for Rotowire, right for ESPN, and I think the cat's out of the bag at this point as far as what's going on with Rotowire and the and the, the Sirius XM show. Chris List is leaving the company and I will be filling in co-hosting with Jeff Erickson starting this coming month. Well, not coming Monday because I'm having the second half of my root canal on, on Monday, but I will, I will be, yeah, people think listening to me is like, like getting a root canal. Well, I literally won't be talking to you because I'm getting a root canal or the second half of one, but yeah, Monday I'm, I'm taking over for Chris on Monday and Tuesday uh, for the baseball season beginning next week on the Sirius XM fantasy channel. Uh man, big 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 shoes to fill, but we'll we'll do the best we can. Uh, and and I'll be back with Jeff on the show on Sundays. They're flipping from the football crew to the baseball crew, so I'll be with Jeff on uh, Saturday. Uh, su- sorry, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday on SiriusXM.
2: Ray, what are you doing? That's awesome,
0: Todd. I hadn't heard that about you. I had heard about lists obviously, but glad to hear they turned to you to fill in. That's a uh, a strong choice, as it were. Uh, as for me, you can find me in the GM's office at Baseball HQ. You can find me all over the First Pitch Florida online event next weekend, and you can find me at Ray HQ on Twitter.
2: And you can find Ray HQ uh, on Twitter. Here on Baseball HQ Radio every Friday. He's our man covering the American League beat. Thanks again, guys. I do appreciate it. Uh, season's off to a great start for us, if not for Major League Baseball so far, but we'll keep our fingers crossed and we'll have a season and we'll have you back lots to talk about the season that we have. Thanks, guys. Thanks, PD. Thanks, PD. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, 2 22 Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number one of the 2022 season. Of course, I want to thank our guests, Todd Zola from MotorWire SiriusXM at ESPN, and Ray Murphy, the co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com. They're both good friends of the show, good friends of mine personally, and always fun to talk baseball with Todd and Ray. We'll be back on Friday with another edition. Not sure who or what's going to be happening since so much depends on the labor negotiations. But we will be here with show number two for 22 of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. We'll see you Friday and so long.